This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Mind Your Body. I am super excited to bring on our guest today. She is Lauren Higgins. Lauren Higgins is a board-certified dance movement therapist who helps women heal their eating disorders through embodiment coaching. Lauren has spent the majority of the past decade focused on using dance movement therapy with people struggling with eating disorders, addiction, and trauma. Lauren found dance during her own struggle with an eating disorder and pursued a master's degree in dance movement therapy based on her own experience of transformation. Now she guides others through their recovery towards a fulfilling embodied life. Awesome. Hi, Lauren. Welcome. Hello. So happy to have you on today and to share your experiences and expertise. And um, I'd just love to have you start in your own words by, you know, introducing yourself. What's your story? And and what are you doing today, like in this realm of work? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I am really excited. Um, I love this podcast, <laughs> so it's an honor to be here. Um, so I have, as I mentioned in my bio, I've spent the majority of the last decade really focusing on using dance movement therapy to help people with disordered eating, body image issues, um, food, weight, exercise struggles. And alongside that, um, often the people I work with have some kind of addiction, um, but not always. And also typically there's an overlap of a history of trauma. And so in doing that work, um, I really love it. I feel really called to this work and I feel passionate about it because of some of the experiences in my life. Um, and I wanted it to go to more people than I was serving um, at the place where I've been working for the last several years. Yeah. So what are you doing now? I know, um, you know, you and I are working together in business coaching and um, you are working on, I mean, you have started your embodiment coaching business. So who are you specifically working with now? Yeah. Yes, now um, I work online so uh, I can see people all over instead of just in my little area. Um, and I work with people who have a history of disordered eating. Um, and recently, because we have such an intense time period in our world right now, there's a pandemic, there is a social uprising, um, there's a lot of things that are pretty intense and triggering for people who have a history of eating disorders. And my hope is to reach those people who have been through some kind of treatment, um, have, are familiar with therapy, have worked with a dietitian before, and understandably may be struggling with some symptoms bubbling up during this time period because it's pretty rough right now. Yeah. So what do these symptoms look like exactly? Like, can you describe what, what they might be going through and who you're working with? Yeah. So 
the typical experience, um, of course it varies, but um, someone who's struggling with disordered eating might be obsessing over food, numbers like calories, weight, steps, um, amount of time that they are exercising. Um, this person might be struggling with um, eating at times that they're not hungry for emotional reasons. Uh, they might be struggling with ingesting a great amount of food and then trying to use some kind of what we call com compensatory behavior to then feel like that those calories don't count, um, which is not helpful for our bodies. Uh, so I'll just say that is <laughs> that is a short version of um, the many different things that people could be struggling with. There's also, um, sometimes this shows up for people in orthorexia, so getting really obsessive about um, is my food quote unquote clean, you know, is it healthy enough, is it organic? Um, and then those people might uh, go overboard and really be impacted negatively and their quality of life trying to get the kinds of food that they are wanting, um, which especially right now with the world being so uncertain might be a little harder to do that than uh, for people in the past <laughs> because all of our habits are completely thrown out the window. Right, and to clarify, like there's just the last one and I guess in general there's obviously a population who want to eat healthier and organic and clean, but it's when that search for that disrupts their functioning or kind of like a healthy way of living that, that then it becomes more disordered. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's basically, you know, there's some criteria that you could consider where if it's impacting your quality of life, whatever it is that you're doing, um, if it's creating excessive stress or obsessive thoughts or you feel really panicky if you can't get what you want um, then that's a sign that there may be a struggle there um, that that is different from somebody who's say just kind of monitoring their food for different reasons I'm careful about the way I talk about it because um, I know that the people that I work with are very sensitive to language. And so um, I want to be clear, but also be uh, mindful in the way that I talk about things like that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a sensitive place to be. And like you said in the beginning, it often overlaps with trauma or really what you've said before was that um, eating disorders are often a symptom of trauma. So can you expand on that? Like, what, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. So trying to um, control or alter one's present moment experience through food, exercise, obsession with weight, um, for many people is a way to help themselves regulate and try to feel better in the moment. And that is misleading because it also is a devastating condition that people can't control and then are stuck in. However, it tends to emerge as a response to either try to control a feeling, try to keep it at bay because the feeling is very unpleasant, or as a way to try to control a situation because something in one's life has been out of control. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, do you have any examples of like what that's looked like for someone where, you know, as much as you can share, they've experienced a certain trauma and, you know, like, is it a certain trigger that they, they are experiencing in the present moment that's reminding them of their trauma and then they're trying to regulate it by a certain disordered eating behavior? Hmm, That's a great question. Um, It could be that. It could be, um, I'm trying to think of of an example that would be um, a good one to share. What one thing that comes up right now, just because it's what we're living in is, um, you know, the, the fact that we can't control what's happening in the world um, and how our loved ones may be impacted, how we may be impacted by with our health. Um, a lot of people are struggling right now with trying to control what they can control. So that can show up in trying to restrict foods or trying to be really obsessive about money um, out of this kind of scarcity mentality that then it can relate to things other than food because typically these patterns show up in not just one area in our life. And so that's something that I've seen a lot of people struggle with is the anxiety of this global situation that we're in. Some people would call it a trauma um, is then too big to cope with. And so people not consciously, but on a subconscious level are focusing and fixating on things that they feel like they can control, like the number on the scale or how, how many calories they consume in a day, which of course, unfortunately for many people spirals out of control, which is the irony of it. But it starts with often a subconscious desire to try to control something. I'm trying to think if there's another clear example that I could share that's not related to the pandemic, but, um, well, I know, I know for me, uh, that's the easiest thing place for me to go. Um, I was in a time period in my life at one point where things were, um, in general, very unstable. And I was going through some traumas at the time. And I remember, um, there was somebody that this isn't, this wasn't a traumatic moment for me, but it was a time period in my life that was, unsafe and there was somebody that I was romantically interested in and they referenced on the phone um you know feelings for someone else and (laughs) I remember hanging up the phone and immediately going to the thought of how like long I needed to exercise that day Mm. and it was the most clear representation for me of how like later on because I remember thinking like well that was weird that should have been really painful for you and then I thought immediately like oh it has to be this amount today and I was like that's interesting (laughs) and later I became more understanding of like of course it is because my brain's most um the least painful route (laughs) was to focus on what I had to do in that moment um rather than sit with the pain of what had just happened. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So that's another thing that like, I hear you saying that instead of feeling these, these normal healthy feelings, although uncomfortable that come up in the moment, it's like, that's a different part of 
you're engaging in a different part of your brain and your body than going to like, than covering that up and going to this like rational planning part of your brain that is trying to cover up, you know, the real emotional part of your being. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's automatic. Like it's not a conscious thought that I, so I want to make sure people know that, but, um, but it's, it's like it has been built in as a way to try to navigate <laughs> this life, which is messy and uh, uncontrollable and doesn't feel good sometimes. Um, it's like the brain has developed this response um, and this pathway that um, for whatever that person's behavior is at the time, um, that is more ingrained to go down that pathway than to feel the present moment, especially in the body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the work that I do with my clients who've experienced trauma, who like, you know, there's just the overthinking and the overanalyzing and the, the being up in the head Yeah, helps them avoid being in their body because that's where their trauma is stored. And yeah. so, it, you know, it's that trauma, like you said, the trauma symptom, the defense mechanism, Mm-hmm. the body and the nervous system being like, don't feel this, don't feel the pain, you know, don't feel the feeling. Right. Yeah. So, it works yeah. Until it doesn't. <laughs> well, yeah. What does that look like? I mean, yeah, it works until it doesn't. What does that look like with, with your, you know, with your clients? Yeah. It's, um, I have so much compassion for that because it's like, yeah, until a certain point it works. And then, one's life can totally crash around them. Um, so for, for many people, and I'm most of the time, the people that I work with have some history of having addressed some of these and, um, gotten through the initial stages of learning some coping skills. But a lot of the people that I work with, um, if this, uh, if the symptoms that they are experiencing, aren't addressed um, soon and they don't get some support, they could spiral out of control to the point where they have really negative health, emotional, uh, social, cognitive impacts. So people are at a very high risk for death with eating disorders. Um, Unfortunately, it's one of the top um, psychiatric conditions that can kill somebody. And in addition to that, um, I've known people who have lost jobs because of their behaviors. Um, And when I say behaviors, I mean eating disorder behaviors, because for some people it might be restricting in one phase of their life, and then in another phase they might be binge eating. So I don't really distinguish between the two because to me they're they're all the same source. right now. (laughs) I don't distinguish right this second. (laughs) Um, So they might lose their job. They might lose relationships. They might um, struggle to concentrate in uh, their schoolwork or not be able to comprehend things because of malnutrition. Um, So struggling cognitively, um, fainting and risking injury. Um, There's a lot of possible Mm. problems. Yeah. Yeah. And just like hearing, 
you say death, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, I mean, it's really yeah. serious. It's really, really serious. And that point about, you know, it works until it doesn't. Speaking of trauma, yeah, you know, whatever traumatic event um, any one of these people have been through, like, that did, that was helpful, that did work to, to disconnect from your body and not experience you know, not really be there and be checked in for the traumatic experience or the traumatic experiences that they had. But it's like now, it's like the body has to learn and the nervous system has to learn that um, even though that's that's the, the coping skill or the survival skill, it's actually not needed anymore. Right. And it, it's, so it takes, you know, it, it takes some work to, to rewire that. And I know, of course you do, you do a lot of that work through, or uh, the majority of that work through movement and dance therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and something, you know, that you've shared with me is that eating disorder recovery has to include moving the body mm-hmm. without disconnecting from the body because that's the, that's the disorder. Yeah. So can you expand on that? Sure. So important. I, um, I remember when I was making my business and going, really, it's healing eating disorders through movement. And I thought, well, I'd, some people might struggle with that language <laughs> because it's not just movement, um, because just moving the body could be someone's eating disorder. So if we disconnect from the movement and just get on a treadmill, um, that isn't going to connect you to the rest of you, (laughs) you know, that's that in many ways, that is a part of disconnecting from the body, even though you're moving. Um, However, when somebody learns to safely land in their body, really be present with their emotions, especially while moving the body for the sake of expression, connection, joy, play, um, feeling their feelings, that's where we are incorporating what they call the like the right side of the brain. We're incorporating different parts of the brain that are needed to access, um, are needed to be accessed in trauma healing or uh, creating new pathways. We are feeling our emotions, which is a huge part of recovering from an eating disorder because they haven't been tolerable for so long. Um, and in the work that I do, I'm connecting to the, the other person or in a, if we're in a group, uh, the group is connecting to each other. And that adds a relational component, which is really important for a sense of safety and being known authentically as who you are as a person, what your flavor of movement is, um, how you express yourself. And all of these things are very different than learning a dance step, though I love that, and that was really helpful for me at one time in my life, um, or doing even a yoga routine, which yoga is great for this process, but it's different than what we do when we are moving to express and moving with other humans. Can you expand on that? Like, because I'm even trying to just think in, in the minds of anyone who's, you know, struggling right now, like expressing, connecting. Oh, no, you know, like that sounds scary, though. How, how do you make it a 
Like, how does it become, after all these years of, of connecting unsafely and unhealthily to their bodies, you know, how does it become something safe and enjoy, even enjoyable, right? Yeah, that's such a great question. Because connection is one of the things that really gets lost, um, both with oneself and with others, um, when someone's struggling with an eating disorder. And what, what I feel really excited about is that when we connect, um, even through a screen, there's a huge capacity for getting to know someone in a way faster through movement. Um, Talking is a wonderful way to connect, but when we move together, there's this whole other world that opens up and it can be awkward, it can be funny, it can be really powerful and emotionally um, moving. Um, and it doesn't actually have to be much. It's not that somebody is like performing a dance routine, but just simple movements when we are paying attention to another person um, can be really powerful. And in dance movement therapy, we talk about this because we have these mirror neurons, right, that get lit up um, when we see somebody experiencing an, an emotion or doing a movement uh, that can evoke that same feeling or, and emotion in us. Um, so it's a very efficient way <laughs> to connect to someone else. And what I've found with a lot of people struggling with an eating disorder is that in a way because movement is involved, for some people, it can feel like it's helping to discharge the energy while we connect with each other. Um, and I don't want to overgeneralize because for some people, moving at all is incredibly vulnerable and stressful. But when we're doing that and someone else is doing it with us, it's not like, you know, necessarily, I don't tend to start people on day one with them moving by themselves, typically I would be joining them in the movement. It doesn't feel as scary for a lot of people. Um, they feel more seen and understood just by having somebody join with them in the movement that they create. Yeah. And that is so different than a, a yoga class or a mood, like a dance class or, you know, or whatever aerobics or going down the line of all these different ways you can move in a, a different setting but like yeah that authentic safe even spontaneous when it gets there that connection I mean that takes a lot of trust which is like when you've experienced trauma it's like you have very little to no trust in yourself and other people when when especially when you've experienced a trauma within a relationship yeah definitely Yeah. And I think it's, it's really exciting to see people um, begin to trust uh, with either me or with other group members starting to open up into a um, little bit more, a little bit more of expression over time. Um, one of the things that is important to me is that people feel really safe. Um, and so I, that's part of why I work with people for, at least a couple of months because um, there's a need for developing rapport and safety. And that takes some time, you know, especially when we've been disconnected from ourselves or other people. Yeah. 
yeah, no safety is without safety. It's like you'd just go back into the same patterns or the same guardedness that is fueling the the patterns in the first place. Yeah. Um, do you have any like go to interventions that you use or something that like you just really love seeing unfold with your clients or maybe a specific example that you have with a group? I think probably like my number one (laughs) go-to is a movement check-in. And part of that, I'll describe what that is in a moment, but um, for those who don't know, but part of my reasoning in that is that it's a way for someone to express how they're feeling, which is a part of what I'm hoping people will start tracking and paying attention to in themselves and then being able to share in some way. And then um, whether it's me or the group mirroring that person, it really helps uh, to not feel alone (laughs) in one's movement. Um, And so I'll share that uh, for those of you who don't know what a movement check-in is, at least the way that I do it is um, I invite that person to show me or show the group how they're feeling. And then we repeat the movement honoring our own bodies and timing um, about three times typically just to sink into it, get to know that movement, get to know that person. And I get excited about that because I know for me, one of the things that was hard in the beginning of my recovery was one, identifying what a feeling was. I didn't necessarily know. (laughs) Two, being able to share what it is. Um, And sometimes I didn't have words for that. And that's um, in that there's a word for that, alexithymia, um, where you actually don't know how to name your feeling. And so I like to view a movement check-in as a way to um, ease into naming it through the body. Mm. Yeah. I've also found with a a movement check-in, like it really helps people. uh, Because you you were saying this before, you know, you can talk and, and, you know, try going that route. But when you involve movement in the body, it's like all those cognitive intellectual filters go out the window and it's like, you go right to the, the real, the root, uh, you know, the authentic stuff. And so even when my clients have trouble, you know, I do, I do it a little bit differently. A lot of the times where I'm like set an intention and then show us through movement and like, Oh, not sure what to say or like, not sure what to, you know, when they're having that trouble and I'm like, do the movement first and then let the word come to you. And it's like, it's also retraining or rewiring your brain to like go to that, um, you know, the right brain first, instead of always jumping to the analytical, I need to get this right. Or what are the right words or, you know, and it's, it helps shift that too from always, I imagine with your clients, like the planning and the mm. setting goals and, and all of that, the counting calories. Yeah. Just being in your body. Yeah, totally. And I, I really love being on the receiving end of that when I get to move first, because sometimes I really don't know until I've put it in my body. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, if you would have told me that years ago, I would have been like, what are you talking about? But it feels really good now. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, we're so good at filtering our real emotions and what we're real, like our real authentic intentions or desires through words. Not even on, not even because like it's a intentional thing. It's just like this is what I think I want, and you know, not to say that there's. Not to say that like, oh, nobody knows what they want, but I'll even say this about myself. I'll think I want something, like if I'm setting an intention for the day and I'm, I'll think it, but then I'll do some movement to just, you know, just double check and I'll be like, oh, okay. Like I thought I really wanted to get all these things done and like check things off my to-do list and my body is, is like, don't move <laughs> on the couch and just do nothing. Yes. You know, so it's like our bodies know so much better, I think. And I think that's what I get most excited about in this work, because I, for me, there was so much early on in my life about exactly what you described or getting my idea about like how to function from um, some external source. So like what I thought my parents wanted or like what the right thing to do according to school was or all these external things. Um, And I really lacked the ability to listen to what I needed. Um, And in doing eating disorder recovery work, that's one of the great things that I gained because um, it really requires you, if you're not relying on an external source, like some number or some diet somewhere to tell you how to function, um, it requires a lot of looking inward and getting to know yourself (laughs) outside of these ideas. Yeah, that's such a good point too, because, you know, we were talking about trauma earlier and, um, I think, I think there's a huge misunderstanding or even a lot of people downplay traumas that they've experienced and how it, it doesn't have to be this like huge event that you've uncovered or remembered, but it could really be like the circumstances that you grew up with in your home life and your, in your school environment that was just shutting down who you really were for a, like a really prolonged period of time where now as an adult, you don't even know who you are. Like you don't have a sense of self. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, that's part of connecting to the body too. And, I, and I'm guessing like with your clients, you know, you can confirm or whatever. Um, but that's, that's a, a, an incentive, right. To focus on the external stuff is like, still feeling so like I don't even know who I am. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for so many people, that is a part of it, is feeling really lost. Um, And sometimes the eating disorder provides this identity, um, and then to be able to give it up is um, it's kind of scary because then – who am I without it? Um, you gotta yeah. grieve. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that too with my clients who like going into the work, there's like, they feel this deep grief and I don't think they can name it that yet. Like I help them name it, 
because mm-hmm. you you I mean you're like you're you're losing intentionally um, these habits and these patterns that you've had for so long this this identity that even though not helpful helpful or serving you you're also giving that up and it's like even though the transformation is is healthy and positive you're still losing this huge part of yourself yeah so that's like that's such a good point yeah yeah it's huge yeah and exciting i think <laughs> yeah you get to find yourself and and yeah, find who you are and kind of like strip off all the layers of trauma and what's covering up the trauma and what's covering up what's covering up the trauma and <laughs> become, yeah. you know, find yourself again. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. So um so how can people find you? Well, um, I am on social media and am most active on Instagram, which is Lauren Higgins DMT, as in dance movement therapy. And I'm also at uh, my website, lauren-higgins.com. And if you would like to participate in a free gift uh, that I would love to give people who are listening to this, you can add to that website and find um, a way to book a free embodiment call with me. So that would be lauren-higgins.com forward slash book. Awesome. And what, like, what can people expect if they do take you up on this free gift? Yes. Um, What I would love to do um, in this embodiment call is to, allow for you to have some new tools first of all gain some tools where you'll be able to connect to your body more clearly um, like some of the things that we've been talking about today with somebody there with you um, i think that that capacity is so much faster and stronger and i want you to be able to connect to your body Uh, so that you can really get to know who you are as a person and quite frankly what you are on this earth to do because I believe that people who are in recovery from this type of experience an eating disorder um, are the ones that our world needs um, right now we need these sensitive creative intelligent people empathic people um, to be lit up and aware of their feelings and passions so i want to help you do that (laughs) awesome that's so generous of you thank you thanks for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to offer that absolutely is there anything else you'd like to share before we close up the interview let me think i don't think so yeah except i really appreciate coming on here and uh, getting to talk with you. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing, Orit, because I I love um, working from an embodied place to build this business. Yes, it's been awesome working with you too. And I'm glad you've, uh, you've come up on, come up on here, I don't know, come on to this podcast. <laughs> and um, 
yeah, it's just really amazing, powerful work that you're doing. So I'm so happy to help you share it with the world. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks everyone for tuning in and listening in. And again, if you want a free gift from Lauren, um, that is lauren-higgins.com forward slash book. So um, you can follow that link and of course, tune into the next Mind Your Body podcast episodes when they appear. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.